Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we review another wild week from college football. We saw plenty of pretenders fall, and we saw some contenders rise to the occasion. Uh, we have waiver wire pickups for you at every position, and then we'll review some of those awesome games I was just referring to you. All that and more coming right up. Goes to the end zone. Oh, what a catch! Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama! Watch out for Mr. Robinson. This kid is going to be special and is already flashing. This is Chasing the Natty, a college football fantasy podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Chasing the Natty, a college football fantasy podcast. I am your host, Mr. Jared Palmgren. On to my right, I always forget, I've switched you now. Uh, to my right is Mr. Xavier Hood. Uh, Xavier, how are we doing today, man? Doing all right, doing all right. It's a nice Saturday, Sunday evening, so a lot of good football that we saw yesterday and um, you know some good NFL football today, but you know, college is always going to be better. Man, as a Georgia fan, I had a great day yesterday. Shut out Arkansas, 37 to nothing, top 10 team. Uh, I got to go to that game. I'll talk about that a little bit more here in a second. Uh, but then came home, got to chill, relax the rest of the day. We just let the college football landscape do its thing. Uh, saw Georgia Tech lose the pit in humiliated fashion. That was always great. And then Florida loses to Kentucky later that night, which was always a fantastic feeling. But anyway, guys. Enough of that. Welcome again to the Chasing the Natty podcast. We got a lot of stuff to cover for you guys today. I had a hard, hard time narrowing down some of the games that we were going to talk about tonight because, my God, just so much happened yesterday. It's hard to really just kind of key in on several important games yesterday. Um, But before we get started with that, I did want to just brag a little bit uh, for what I was able to do on Saturday. So, again, if you know anything about me, I'm a Georgia fan. Uh, college game day was in town. I still happen to live in Athens. So I figured, you know what? Might as well try to get on game day. And I figured, you know what? Promote the sport a little bit. And so I made myself a little sign. You can kind of see here. If you're not watching on YouTube, definitely check out the YouTube product so you can kind of see the pictures here. I made a homemade sign that simply said, play college fantasy football. Uh, and I'm, So I'm nice and tall. If you, y'all don't know this, by the way, me and Xavier are both giants. Um, we uh, both got injected with superhero syndromes or uh, syringes when we were younger, so we were both freakishly tall. And so I used my freakishly tall abilities to make sure that sign got above everybody else. And if again, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the picture on the right here. I absolutely nailed my placement, and so it was right there for everybody to see. Whenever you saw, um, whenever you saw David Pollock and Kirk Herbstreit on the screen, so yeah, that was awesome. I'm very happy I was able to actually pull that off Xavier you got any thoughts on this uh yeah I was able to catch you for a brief moment uh on game day I was like hey that's my co-host out there so you know I made a few funny tweets like I do every time you go to a game <laughs> get some good little likes off of it um if you don't know but um yeah it was uh, I was happy for you and uh, I was glad if you want to speak a little bit more on the experience but uh you know for a fan on the outside and didn't get to go to the game it looked like it was pretty electric in there 
Oh yeah, well, uh, the fan, the actual game day atmosphere was actually kind of muted because again, a lot of the people that would be really excited got to the game early, so you didn't mm -hmm. get quite as many people on Myers Quad as you would expect to, because again, everybody was leaving to go to the game early. Um, but even still, just being there was awesome. Being able to actually stand behind all these great uh, college football hosts um, from all these different shows, it was fantastic to actually see them in real life. Uh, they were great in between. Um, their segments and everything like during commercial breaks they would come in and interact with the crowd a little bit it was always great um, the signs were on point as always I wish I had taken more pictures of some of the signs that were there and I'd absolutely would show them here because man there are some pretty funny ones um, trying to think of anything else again the actual game oh my god dude like I, I was telling Xavier before we got started here there's only one game I would compare it to in the past couple of years and that would be the Notre Dame game and I say it's close uh Sanford Stadium was absolutely electric during that game. Um, when Georgia blocked the punt for a touchdown, I thought I was going to lose my hearing afterwards because of how loud that stadium got. It was crazy, man. I've never, again, a lot of people were saying Georgia can't get up for the Dune game. That was put to rest this weekend. Georgia fans and and the team itself can absolutely get up for noon games, and it was a blast. Loved it. But anyway, this is not a Georgia podcast. This is not... Uh, me just here to tell you about my incredible experiences uh, outside of this podcast. We're here to help you win your fantasy uh, college fantasy leagues. So first things first, before we get to recapping all these different games, we want to give you guys some quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and some tight ends we think you should be targeting on the waiver wire this week. So let us get started with that on our QB waiver wires this week. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see all five guys up on the screen already, but we're gonna take this one at a time. And I'll go ahead and start off with the first guy we have here listed, and that's Austin Kendall, quarterback out of Louisiana Tech, owned by 36% of the fantasy community, or, or is rostered on 36% of leagues is what I mean. I don't know why I said that so weirdly. I don't, again, maybe I'm just tired from yesterday. I don't know. But anyway, big things I want to point out here with Mr. Austin Kendall. Only one game so far where he has scored under 30 points. Uh, every other game, he has been in an absolute shootout, and he has been the center of that offense, and he has scored over 30 points three out of the last four games that he has played. He did sit out one game due to injury, but it looks like he has passed that. And I also want to point out his upcoming schedule. He is playing against UTEP, UTSA, and Old Dominion in the next three games that he is playing. That sounds like a recipe for success for him he is on a buy this week so don't expect him to do anything for you this week obviously but even so i think he's absolutely worth a pickup so xavier what are you thinking yeah uh you know uh i think it was the past week or two that he didn't play um was really concerning because a lot of people he had the high upside of you know not having under 30 fantasy points and all those people that did own him or were looking to own him it was kind of a down a downturn, but then he's, he's decided to come back because even then I didn't know. I think the LA Tech coach didn't announce it until it was a game time decision and uh, mm -hmm. Austin came back and picked up where he left off. So I think that's a, definitely a, a waiver wire you should uh, definitely look into and uh, have try to get first claim on. Absolutely. So we'll go ahead and move on to our second quarterback here, and that is Mr. Jeff Sims, uh, quarterback out of Georgia Tech. Man, I, I'm, I'm feeling gross. Uh, uh, recommending y'all a Georgia Tech quarterback here, but Jeff Sims owned on 34% of fantasy rosters um, or th fantasy leagues. Uh, he's a real deal when it comes to being a fantasy asset for you. And the biggest thing here is his rushing ability. We saw it last year. We're beginning to see it again this year as he's coming back off of injury. In the last two games uh, since he came back from injury, he has scored 39 
uh, points and 26 points respectively in a half PPR format. Not that that changes quarterback stats very much. But even still, Jeff Sims, I think his rushing floor is really the big deal here in that, again, in a Georgia Tech offense where they're likely going to be in negative game strips constantly, he is going to be at the center of trying to get Georgia Tech back into games, and you'll be seeing him put up plenty of stats every single week. So, Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Jeff Sims? Yeah, I kind of view Jeff Sims as a boomer bust uh, guy, to be honest. Like, I think uh, it's it's week going into week five now, um, or is, are we going into week six? Week six. Week six. Ooh. So the graphic is wrong, Jared. Yep, that's what I'm changing as we speak. <laughs> but uh, regardless of that, uh, we're going into week six now. Um, and he was injured in the beginning of the season. Now he's uh, fully back. And we're seeing a lot from Jeff Sims in terms of his uh, – we've only seen one true game of him rushing, and that was last week against UNC. And then his last game uh, yesterday against Pitt was not that inspiring uh, running, uh, rushing. Well, that pit defense is really good. And, you know, you can only contain, uh, they were able to contain Jeff Sims. But now he has uh, games against like Duke, I think Virginia. And then I think he has Virginia Tech or his next three games. Mm. And so it's going to be really interesting to see going forward. Um, I would be a little bit hesitant about it because he doesn't throw that many touchdowns. Um, we've only seen games of him throwing, uh, I guess over 200 yards actually once this season. We haven't seen him do it uh, multiple times. I'm not mistaken. I believe he threw over 300 yards this past game, though, right? He did. He did. So we only seen it, like I admit, like, I think I, I, thought I said uh, we've only seen it once. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, besides that, it's really just boom or bust with him. Uh, I mean, if you want to make that investment and take that risk just for a couple of weeks and, you know, pick the matchups, then that's fine. But in terms of an every week starter, I'd uh, be a little bit more hesitant about it. Oh, absolutely. Again, like, most every week starters have been taken up by this point and are definitely above 40% in fantasy ownership. Like these guys are mostly, again, guys to play on these good matchups. And that's why, again, I point out with Austin Kendall, he's got three great matchups coming up. Like you just pointed out, Jeff Sims, you can play him against Duke. You can play him against Virginia. Those seem like two good matchups for him. Uh, speaking of good matchups, we'll move on to our next quarterback here. Another uh, ACC quarterback here, and that is Sam Hartman, quarterback out of Wake Forest. Uh, the big things I want to point out here is that his fantasy score has been increasing uh, week by week. Not that that's something you should always be looking at, but in addition to that, it does kind of indicate that he is becoming more and more a focal point of this offense. Um, Christian Beal Smith, I know, um, did not have the best fantasy weeks in this past week, so it looks like Wake Forest might be looking to rely on Sam Hartman just a little bit more in these games where it gets a little closer. I know they barely beat uh, Louisville this past week, so they relied on him a lot there. Uh, in addition to that, he's got a lot of weapons on that offense. Uh, Ja'Kerry Roberson, A.T. Perry, uh, Taylor Morin are three great wide receivers that he has to play with. Uh, Christian Smith, I believe, can catch out of the backfield, so he has that as well. Um, and then, again, the upcoming schedule, I think, is very, very favorable to him. He's got Syracuse Army. Army, maybe, maybe not so much because just the way the nature of uh, Army games are, just low scoring, lots of time ran off the clock. Uh, and then he's got Duke and North Carolina, two defenses that don't seem to be able to stop most people. Although North Carolina was able to hold Duke to only seven points this past week. So good on North Carolina. But even still, from what I saw earlier, North Carolina is a team that can really open the dam up on their defense any given week. So I think Sam Hartman could easily be a good matchup for you that weekend. So Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Sam Hartman? Yeah, uh, I think he's been getting better each and every week. Um, like you said, he's been a riser. Um, I think he's become more consistent. Um, 
with that Wake Forest team and having all those uh, super seniors that, uh, you know, a lot of the college football pundits have been talking about with uh, the COVID seasons and um, things like that, able to come back. Wake Forest is just more of a consistent team right now. Um, I, I'm not saying they can put in any player that they can and go through uh, their whole depth chart, but I mean, at this point, you have a lot of experienced uh, players that know the playbook, and you won't um, you won't see too much uh, too many errors made by Wake Forest, especially with this week ACC uh, conference this year. Well, uh, with how weak the ACC is this year, hmm. so I do like Sam Hartman going forward. A lot of the weapons, I, I feel a little bit disappointed in Jaquar Pearson this year, but with all the weapons that he has, I mean, Jaquar Roberson, you mean? Oh, Jaq- oh, why did I say Jaquar Pearson? Yeah, Jaquar <laughs> Roberson. Um, yeah, uh, Jaquar Roberson. He hasn't been that much of a disappointment. It's just that he's not the focal point that we all thought. Mm-hmm. But the way the offense looks now, it's honestly any all any of the three of those receivers that you mentioned, like A.T. Perry, uh, Jakiri, and then um, ooh, who's the third receiver? He just went off this past weekend. Uh, Taylor Morin. Taylor Morin. Um, yeah, either one of those guys can go off. So I think Sam Hartman's in a good place. And Christian Sp- uh, Beal Smith in the backfield. So I do like Sam Hartman going forward. Maybe not for like a 30-point upside, but – Hey, with a with weaker and weaker opponents, he could have that type of game. Absolutely. Uh, so we'll go ahead and move on to our fourth quarterback here, and that is Mr. Hendon Hooker, quarterback out of Tennessee, currently owned on ten only ten percent of rosters. Really, the big things here are: it looks like Hendon Hooker is the solidified quarterback one for Tennessee and the Josh Heupel offense. Absolutely destroyed, destroyed. Missouri this past weekend I was shocked looking up at that scoreboard uh during the game because every time I thought they were done uh it turns out nope they just poured another touchdown onto Missouri now a lot of that has to do with just Missouri's piss poor uh rushing defense but even so when you have a rushing quarterback like Hendon Hooker he's gonna he's gonna benefit from teams like that uh and then the other thing I want to point out his next two games he's got playing uh, neither one are defenses I, I think you really have to worry about. Uh, USC, um, I almost said USC Junior, but uh, South Carolina is mm-hmm. uh, next up for them. And then they have Ole Miss right afterwards, which they have an improved defense. But as we saw this past weekend with Alabama, uh, definitely still quite porous when it comes to the run. So I think Hendon Hooker can absolutely take advantage of that with his rushing ability. So Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Hendon Hooker? Yeah, I'm still not sold yet. Um, I, I love what I saw against Missouri, but Missouri has shown that their defense is not that good uh, per last week of, uh, against Boston College in that overtime loss. So I wasn't expecting really uh, much out of Missouri this week, maybe more on the offensive side where I thought Tyler Beatty would have went off against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. That's just credit more to Tennessee. Um, but, I mean, Hendon Hooker has a lot of weapons, a lot of young weapons to uh, use with uh, Tyan Evans, um, Jabari Small, uh, who I don't think played this weekend. Or he, he did not. Did. I be- or he got injured early on in the game, I believe. Ooh, so he did. Um, but he still has a lot of good young receivers that um, have yet to really, like, truly break out yet to be fantasy relevant, but just enough to where, you know, they'll keep him in games, be able to put up touchdowns. And he has, he has that rushing ability as well, too. But I think it's only for these next two games, and that old Miss game is going to be a real toss-up for his fantasy value and what he could – for his projections. And then after that, you have a rough slate of um, – so you have Alabama, Alabama Kentucky, Georgia. Georgia. And then after that, yeah, you're smooth sailing because you're going against South Alabama and Vandy. So mm-hmm. you'll be able to put up points. So it's basically a little matchup uh, basis. Like if you can storm on your bench and just wait, uh, if you see a favorable matchup where Tennessee is like favored by, I guess, more than, let's say, uh, 14 or 15 points, then yeah, I would start Hendon Hooker. But for now, yeah, still probably not. Uh, I guess that's fair enough. Uh, last quarterback here I'm going to throw out here. Um, I'll be honest. 
this is I'm not like super sold on him going forward, but I did want to point him out because I think it was back on the Campus to Canton podcast. Um, Austin and Colin asked me for like a super sleeper for the year, so I dug real deep and I picked out Mr. Our next quarterback here, Mr. Garrett Schrader, quarterback out of Syracuse, currently owned on six percent of rosters. And yeah, I called him out because I was like, you know, if Syracuse benches um, Tommy DeVito and they let Garrett Schrader become the starting quarterback, he has the rushing ability to absolutely uh, provide some fantasy value for people. And he, as soon as he has stepped in, has almost immediately taken over that role. I believe, uh, I forget how many rushing touchdowns he has already, but he's very much being used in that regard going yeah, he forward. Seven, he has so. seven already? Oh my yeah. God, that was more than I was even thinking. So that should tell you right there, like they're going to be using him at the goal line uh, for Syracuse going forward. And Syracuse, while I don't think it's a great team by any stretch of the imagination, but also, again, negative game script right there. Um, so you'll see Garrett Schrader probably passing a lot, probably rushing for first downs. So I think going forward, Garrett Schrader is probably a pretty good waiver wire pickup for you to have. Uh, yeah, I will, um, you know, hold off on that for now. Uh, you know, I haven't seen it in the passing game yet. He Right now, he just looks like a, not to say, you know, for all the Lamar Jackson haters, but he looks like a glorified running back at this point. But, um, you know, if he improves in this passing game, then, yeah, I'll take a legitimate look for, uh, for him. I do love the rushing touchdowns he's getting and the rushing attempts that he's gotten in the past two games. Mm-hmm. But Syracuse is going through so much uh, QB controversy of who to start and who not to start. Uh, I feel like it's a little bit too volatile right now to uh, pick him up, so I'll just wait and see. Yeah, fair enough. All righty, well, those are our five quarterbacks for the week. So now we are going to move on to our running backs of the week. So Xavier, you want to take over here and introduce our first running back for the week? Absolutely. So our first running back we have out of the week is Alton McCaskill out of Houston. Had a Big day for uh, Houston. I think he had around uh, three touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken. Had, uh, and he's doing this only as a freshman, if I'm not mistaken. He is indeed a freshman. Yes. Oh, this is all off the dome. I was not expecting to do running backs today, but I was <laughs> like, I didn't watch that. Did yeah, it's fine. No, it's completely fine. I watched a little bit of the Houston game, so I got to see him, and his name kept popping up. So I was like, yeah, I, I absolutely know this player. So, yeah, I, I think it's definitely a good uh, flyer to take. Um, if the matchups are favorable for Houston in their conference, uh, which I think it is. So mm-hmm. I think going forward, absolutely. Aaron McCaskill uh, is definitely, or Alton McCaskill is definitely a guy that you should take a chance on. They go against Tulane, Eastern uh, Eastern Carolina and SMU, which I mean, Eastern very Carolina winnable is, games for them. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. But um, I think they'll be able to put up points to say the least. I don't think mm-hmm. you know, winnable. That's that's debatable. But yeah, I think Houston can definitely be in those games. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll kind of throw in here again. It w- it looked like Houston was going to do kind of what they did last year, where they would go the running back by committee approach. But it looks like Alton McCaskill really has kind of broken out as the star running back for the Cougars. Uh, in the last three games uh, so far, he's averaged 16 carries which again, not the greatest thing in the world and everything, but even still, like you're looking for a guy with decent volume, here you go. And again, the big thing really, the last couple of games, averaging about 1.75 touchdowns per game. That is huge when it comes to making sure that you can get some value out of him every single week. Uh, absolutely, they'll be using him at the goal line. So I think Ultima Casco is absolutely somebody you should be looking at for this week. And if he's available in your dynasty league or whatever, 
pick him up right now. I don't care what it takes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I guess we can move on to our next back. We have Ty Evans out of Tennessee. Uh, yeah, Ty Evans, another uh, young player. For, uh, he's actually a junior for that Tennessee offense. But these past few games, he's been getting a lot of volume, uh, especially with Jabari Small going down uh, this past week. Uh, we're gonna if he's down for a while, then Ty M- Ty Evans is gonna be that lead back, and he had three touchdowns. He had that one long for ninety two, so that kind of you know inflated the stats. But I mean, to say inflated, I mean he still ran for ninety two yards, so uh, mm-hmm. you still have to take that into account of the, the talent that he has. And uh, I guess going forward, I mean he's the big focal point of that Tennessee offense. Um, doesn't get a lot of receiving work. I mean he can, but not not that much to where he only has one touchdown. But I, I do like you know, what I see going forward. And Tennessee has a decent O-line with some notable names that I do like um, on that O-line for the draft this upcoming year. So I think it's a, a good uh, place for him. And we'll see going forward uh, with his schedule, uh, what he could do against some terrible rushing defense. Now, I do think South Carolina will be a challenge for him because South Carolina did have a has, a, has a decent rush defense this year. Not to say it's like anything outstanding, but uh, I've noticed, you know, in the couple of games they played, they were able to shut down the run just a little bit. You know, for a lot, a lot of the more greater competition. So, yeah, I think the other thing to kind of note here is again Jabari Small getting injured for Tennessee this past week. If he's out for a couple of weeks and Tyon Evans becomes the number one back easily for this offense, I would not be surprised if you see more games like you did last Saturday. Now, again, I'm not predicting over two or 156 yards and three touchdowns every single week, but even still, you're going to get a fantasy relevant back easily for yourself this week if you pick him up. Yeah. All right, next to uh, our next running back here, we have Keith Mitchell out of East Carolina. This is a guy I've been seeing a lot this season, and I'm surprised he's only at 26% um, in production. Uh, let me just run off a few uh, notable stats. Uh, in the past, like, four games, Keith Mitchell has averaged around, like, 14 uh, attempts, and in three of those games, he's had over 100 yards. And I don't even think that's his best asset. The fact that he's getting a lot of no- notable, like, targets and receptions in the receiving game is where, not to say his true value is, because obviously he's getting 100-yard games and he's not getting 100-yard games and receiving, but mm-hmm. I think that type of versatility, like they always preach about having in those backs, and also he's on a great East Carolina team uh, that's doing uh, considerably well this year. So I, I think they're going to put up a lot of stats. Uh, he's a freshman. Um, it's four touchdowns. So I think – I'm not predicting every week that he'll have over 100 yards, but in their upcoming schedule, I think he will be primed to have some good games. His up, his, his, I'm say his upcoming schedule is a joke. I mean, he has UCF, so that may be a little bit trickier because UCF has Ghost Miles on, and that defense kind of looks decent so, at times against good competition. But then you have uh, Houston, UC, uh, USF, Temple. So those are three games I would absolutely start Keaton Mitchell in. And I think uh, after this week, he'll go beyond 40%. I think he's looking enough. If he is, again, I'm like, I, I think we said last week with uh, Keaton Mitchell where I was like, if he's on, if if he's um, what if he's on, if he's below forty percent for some reason, he's absolutely going back on the list. Well, guess what, y'all? He had another twenty point game this weekend, so guess what? He's right back here. We're telling you, go pick up Keaton Mitchell. Yeah. All right, you, Tony. Don't pick up Keaton Mitchell. That's a, that's a friend of ours in our home league. He likes to listen and uh, steal players. So now he's terrible. But now, yeah. All right, I guess we can go on to our next player, Sean McGrew out of Washington. Only 2% uh, rostered in all Fantrax uh, leagues. So Sean McGrew was an interesting choice um, going in. I mean, he hasn't put up big numbers. 
except for the past game against Oregon State, but he's getting a lot of volume to where his past, like he's only played three games so far this year, but he's gotten 16 carries in two of them. And he's scoring a touchdown or he's scoring two, he's averaging two touchdowns every game. So it's kind of ridiculous at this point to where like, yeah, you're not like putting up a uh, hundred yard games every single week, but for some reason you're getting two touchdowns. So I'm guessing they're giving you the goal line work because he's not a big mm-hmm. guy. He's a senior. He's only five, seven, one eighty. So it's really surprising that uh, he's having two touchdown games. But, um, I mean, at, at this point, the Pac-12 is a joke. Um, I guess his next upcoming games is UCLA, which may be a little bit harder. But then after that, you have Arizona, Stanford, who just beat Oregon. But I think that's just the Pac-12 beating up on the Pac-12. And then you have Oregon. So mm. it may get a little bit harder for him, but it's still the Pac-12. So I'd take those odds any day of the week. I think the big thing I, I, I wanted to mention with Sean McGrew is I just think the offense is going to have to learn to run through him because Dylan Morris ain't the, ain't the answer at, in terms of getting a consistent passing attack with Washington. They can't keep their receivers healthy for the life of them. So again, I think you're going to continue to see Sean McGrew be that guy that they're going to go to. Um, what's his receiving work? I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, it's not that great. I think not that great. Yeah, I think he's only gotten like three receptions so far this season. That's kind of so. surprising. Again, I I would think they would try to change it up a little bit with him there. But even so, I'm not the coach at Washington. Um, but even so, I think, again, Sean McGrew has quickly become one of these guys where if you need 15 points from a guy, like you're just struggling to find somebody to, that might that you're afraid might – that or you're trying to find somebody that you're guaranteed won't bust for you that week – I think Sean McGrew is an absolutely good option for you to pick up going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess finally we can move on to our last running back, Chase Brown of Illinois, 11% rostered. Uh, a lot of people going into the season, like myself, if you've been a listener of the podcast since uh, our early days of back in March, uh, we had our uh, sleepers uh, candidates of the year or something of that nature. I don't remember the podcast exactly, but we were talking about that. And I looked up and I, I was intrigued by Chase Brown. And early on in the season, we didn't get to see much of him because of the coach, because uh, of Belimi. Or am I saying that right? Belimi or uh, Belima? Belima. Uh, I knew I was messing up a little bit, but Belima. Uh, the first game was because of disciplinary reasons. And then um, they had, um, God, who, Mike Epstein. He was uh, starting and looking pretty good for uh, Illinois for a while. But then he, if I'm not mistaken, got hurt. He got hurt. So Chase Brown came back into that role and getting the bell cow role that I've kind of expected him to get to where between him and Joshua McQuarrie, they're getting most of the work. And um, honestly, um, Chase Brown's doing a lot more work on less attempts and averaging more yards per carry. And he's getting the touchdowns as well, too. So I think going forward, Illinois, it's, the, it's their best bet to uh, keep Chase Brown out there. They want to win. So I, I do like Chase Brown going forward. Um, in terms of their schedule, uh, you're going to probably start getting into some Big Ten uh, games. You're facing Wisconsin and Penn State your next two games, so maybe not there. But then you have Rutgers, which I don't know about. I mean, they they weren't able to really shut down the Ohio State running game that much, but at the same time, it, it's going to get rough after here. I'm not going to lie. So uh, it's, it's up to the volume that he gets to if he can stay relevant. Again, I had to put Chase Brown on here, and again, I'm not I'm not complaining too much because I have Chase Brown on several of my best ball leagues, and I was scared to death that he was going to be a bust for me. But it turns out this week he helped me out a ton um, yeah. in those leagues. I think I actually got first place in both leagues that I had him uh, listed for this week. Anyway, um, but I had to put him on here because you can't ignore what he did this last week: 26 carries, 257 yards, and two touchdowns. You can't ignore that. 
But again, I am hesitant to recommend Chase Brown because again, we've seen a different lead running back, it feels like, for Illinois every single game they've played so far this season, it feels like. And so I question that. And like you said, the schedule they have coming up is very tough. Um, so if Chase Brown continues to get the volume, it's not going to really matter that much because 26 carries is going to, even if you're popping off three yards a carry, if you get a touchdown, um, that's what, 13 points. You're happy. You're you're pretty decently happy with that going for the week. Absolutely. So I think Chase Brown is worth recommending here, but only if you're really, really struggling in a league uh, for running back, I would say. All right. So with that, we have our... We have our uh, running backs out of the way. So let's move on to our wide receivers for this week. So let me go ahead and once again uh, fix the um, week number because I totally forgot to do that this week. Anyway, we got a ton of wide receivers here to recommend to you guys this week. And the first and foremost has to be Mr. Makai Polk out of Mississippi State. He is doing what we all hope that Jaden Wally would be doing this year. Jaden Wally's still having a good year by himself, but Makai Polk has been going crazy these last three games. Last three games has averaged 11 receptions per game, has averaged over a touchdown in the last three, or no, yeah, he's he's had a touchdown, at least one touchdown in the last three games, and he's had about 113 yards per game the last three games. This is a man that has broken out under this Mike Leach offense, and so... Basically, guys, it's the wide receiver one for a Mike Leach offense. Go get him. He's going to be peppered and peppered and peppered with targets more often than you can even count. So, Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Makai Polk here? Yeah, uh, I definitely had the expectations of Jaden Wally getting this type of work, which is surprisingly Jaden Wally has the same amount of touchdowns as Makai, just not the yard to the uh, receptions because I guess Makai is just uh, a yak guy at this point. But, um, yeah, he looks great. I mean, with, um, God, Will Rogers throwing the ball like 60 times this game. And I think this was the game where he threw under 60. I think he threw 59 against LSU or mm-hmm. Texas A&M. Sorry. Um, to where uh, a lot of that went to Makai Polk. And it was great. And he's continued to show that he is the uh, number one receiver for uh, Mississippi State. And he's getting touchdowns. So, yeah, I think at this point he shouldn't be on this list next week if you're desperate. Uh, not to say desperate for a wide receiver, but I mean, obviously they play. I think hell, if, uh, even if you have a stacked league, like honestly, yeah. you got you got some guys that are worth dropping for Makai Polk. Absolutely. I mean, I, honestly, yeah. Besides next week, I I'll probably start Makai Polk every game because they play, they face Alabama next week, and then after that mm-hmm. they play some teams where they have good defenses. But I think Makai Polk is that talent to where he could still put up a decent amount of yardage especially with uh will rogers throwing 60 times a game no absolutely 100 percent. so again no reason not to pick up makai polk the next person on this list is again probably a little bit deeper but i think his performances last week was just a little bit too much to not ignore i guess stefan cobbs uh aka my nemesis when it comes to me trying to get points out of khalil shakir uh Last week, um, he had 10 receptions for 132 yards and two touchdowns. Absolutely went off in their game against Nevada. But even still, he's consistently been the deep threat for Boise State uh, in their two two games previous that he had um, gotten receptions in. Um, I believe in both of the games beforehand, he had longs of 60 and or 61 and 64. 
if I remember the stats off the top of my head. Uh, nah, the first, uh, the the two games before, well, yeah, he had the he had only one reception for sixty one, and that was a touchdown. The game before that, his long was eighteen, but he had sixty three yards in total. Okay, that's what I was thinking. But even so, um, definitely getting a bigger, bigger role in this Boise State offense. Again, if you're in a deeper league, I think Savon Cobb's absolutely worth a pickup just as a flyer every single week. Because it seems like he's the kind of guy that will break open for a big touchdown if you give him the opportunity. So what are your thoughts here, Xavier? Yeah, I'll still hold off on this one a little bit. I think, uh, not to say it's a fluke week or anything, but it was Nevada. And I I did think it was going to be a good game for a shootout. And I didn't expect him to be the lead receiver, but it ended up happening that way. I mean, Khalil Shakir still got a lot of good work. Mm -hmm. I was uh, happy with what he got. But um, I think, you know, one game, one game uh, standouts can happen. And I think that's what happened with Stefan Cobb. So I'd have to see a little bit more consistency out of him. But, yeah, yeah overall, eh, I'll, I'll hold off for now. He did have a fall. He did fumble too one time, so that would have kind of uh, hurt me. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, so we'll move on to the next wide receiver here. This is a guy that I was, like, hesitant to recommend last year – or last week last year. What am I saying? Um – but Mr. Dallas Dixon, wide receiver out of Central Michigan, really has stepped up for this offense uh, with Ja'Cory Sullivan still kind of recovering from his uh, injury, kind of been played in a limited role. Dallas Dixon stepped right up and has had uh, very consistent games the last uh, last couple of games. He's had two last two games. He's had over 100 yards and at least a touchdown each of them. And really the thing to note with him is the schedule coming up, max schedule as far as the eye can see. Uh, Mac, very defensively challenged conference. I expect Mr. Dixon to feast in several of his games coming forward. So, Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Dallas Dixon? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, With Sullivan out, I I do like Dixon as the number one role, and especially their next three games. Now, maybe I'll, uh, you know, if if I don't pick him up before then or if people don't get him up to 40% before then, um, I guess Kent State would be a good test for him in the Mac to see if he's still able to have that type of shootout with the quarterback that he has. But, uh, yeah, I, I would absolutely take uh, uh, use a waiver wire pick for uh, Dallas Dixon if he's still available in some leagues. Yep. Uh, and then the other, uh, the fourth wide receiver I'm going to mention here today is Mr. Corey Sutton. Uh, had him on last week's show. Once again, why is he still available in so many leagues? He's available in 29% of leagues. Uh, three straight 100-yard games for this man. Two of the games he had touchdowns in. Um I will say, I looked at his schedule. He has a tough two-game stretch coming up. He's going against Louisiana, going up against Coastal Carolina. But even still, after that, UL Monroe, Arkansas State, who I believe is last in passing defense in the country, uh, South Alabama. Got three straight games right there that you, he can absolutely pop off. And I, heck, I could see him popping off in Louisiana, Coastal Carolina games that they let him. So... Corey Sutton, wide receiver out of Appalachian State. Xavier, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, like you said, uh, I'm still a little bit hesitant about the next two games. You're going against two great defenses. Um, Appalachian State is a good team that likes to uh, hang in there sometimes. So I think, yeah, he'll definitely still be relevant in terms of the offense of the, in those games. Mm-hmm. So it's really going to be up to him um, to uh, show us what we uh, what he has and if he's truly special enough to uh, – have you uh, enough receptions and yards and maybe even a touchdown? Because I think Appalachian State is that good of a team to push some of those uh, higher teams in the, um, that conference. So, yeah, absolutely going forward. I think Corey Sutton should be rostered over 40% or either close by next week. Yep, fair enough. And then the last wide receiver I want to throw out here is Mr. Brandon Johnson, wide receiver at UCF, owned on 3% of rosters. And Brandon is basically what we wanted Jalen Robinson to be. 
Um, just a touchdown machine for UCF. I believe he's getting right about the same amount of receptions as Jalen Robinson. But again, it looks like that Brandon has become a favorite target for Gus Malzahn. And uh, I forget, what, uh, what's his name? Uh, Keen? Keen's the new quarterback yeah, Mikey there. Mikey Keen. Mikey Keen. Uh, looks like he's become just like he was with Dylan Gabriel. Looks like he's become a favorite uh, red zone target for them. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking so far. So, what do you think, Xavier? Yeah, um, I think they have a, not to say a tough schedule coming up, but it's really going to rely, honestly, yeah, it's going to take an offensive shootout for them to keep, be in games. I think Brendan Johnson is going to be a focal point. I don't think the Cincinnati game they have in two weeks is going to be that much of an offensive shootout. But in terms of the East Carolina and Memphis game, I think they're going to have to put up points. I think Brendan Johnson, if Isaiah Bowser's not back and, you know, Jalen Robinson, uh, Ryan O'Keefe aren't stealing targets and uh, touchdowns away from him. I think Brendan Johnson is one of those top receivers, especially if Mikey Keene uh, keeps on eyeing in on him and has him as his favorite receiver. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm liking Brandon Johnson kind of as a developmental player for, uh, especially, if, like, again, Dynasty League and everything. I think Brandon Johnson absolutely could be worth it for you to just kind of hold on to him, see where this goes for him. Yeah. All right. All right. Oh. Did I did I interrupt you, sir? Oh, no, 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 no. I was going to, uh, you know, move on to tight ends uh, since we're, uh, you know, rotating in and out because we're getting into the good portion of the show after we get our, through our waiver wire stuff uh, to help you all out. But, yeah, we're going to go through these a little bit quick, but not too quick because I feel like these are some names that, uh, you know, are pretty good so far, especially uh, I'll start off with the number one guy, Sam Laporta of Iowa, on 32% of rosters. He's been on this uh, tight end list for the, probably the past – I'm not mistaken, three weeks, two to three he weeks. He might have been on every single week so probably. far. Probably. And I've been saying it's an Iowa tight end. He's probably going to get work, and he has been getting work. And especially against uh, Maryland, he got a lot of work. I think he had one or two touchdowns that game. But now Iowa has a tough game in their next game against Penn State, a top four matchup. So it's going to be a true test for Iowa in that offense because um, they key in on uh, Tyler Goodson, and that may have a – Sam Laporta open as well, too. But then after that, you have Purdue, Wisconsin, Northwestern. I mean, I, I think it's just, uh, you know, a lot of opportunity for Sam Laporta to go off. Cameron Latu, uh, actually, let me ask you, what do you think of Sam Laporta? That's what I forgot to do. Uh, I think he's a great tight end. There's a reason why I've been putting him on this list every single week. And yeah. y'all, get him over 40% by the end of this week, y'all. Please, thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Anyways, Avery, next tight end. Yeah, moving on to our next one, we have Cameron Latu of Alabama. Uh, uh, been a riser uh, in terms of tight ends, um, just in the college football landscape, and especially at Alabama, where we heard good things at the camp. But, you know, you can't always take good things at the camp, uh, you know, too uh, heavily to heart to where you're just like, oh, this guy's going to break out and be great. But Cameron Latu has absolutely stepped up into that role. I mean, Jalil Billingsley is still the starter. But every time Cam La Cameron Latu is on the field, he's going to make a play or two and, you know, in his first few games, when he was starting over Jaleel Billingsley, he's had touchdowns. And even now with his uh, role as a backup on the depth chart, he's still able to produce at a high level. So I think it's worth a shot to take uh, if Bryce Young and Jaleel Billingsley and Cameron Latu can go as this. I don't see why not to pick him up. It's hard to find a piece of the Alabama offense really still available to you. Like I was even shocked. Uh, I thought people would have given up on Brian Robinson by this point because they were just uh, tired of him being injured and such. But even yep. still, like, he was owned on, like, 80% of rosters still. Um, but Cameron Latu, a piece of the Alabama offense out there, you, you can still get. I was a little worried about him with Jaleel Billingsley coming back, but it looks like there's still some repertoire between him and Bryce Young, especially in the end zones. Um, I believe out of the last 
five games they've played. He's had a touchdown in three of them. So I think you should absolutely, if you, again, if you're just looking for a piece of that Bama offense and nobody else has, clearly 76% of leagues, nobody has Cameron Latu rostered, so you absolutely should be able to pick him up. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to our third tight end. We have Lucas Kroll out of Pittsburgh, uh, owned on 37%. So we're really close to 40 on this one. I think people are starting to see that, that this Pittsburgh team is no joke with Kenny Pickett and uh, what they're doing uh, passing the ball in terms of uh, all the weapons that they have uh, receiver. But Lucas Kroll, uh, a great, great touchdown machine so far. I think he's scored in every game except for one, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. He, um, in his past game, he had a touchdown. So he got you around like 10.5 points, which is really good for a tight end nowadays uh, with a lot of the top tight ends not doing so well so far. It's good to have these gems because, you know, having 10.5 points can, you know, make or break your week sometimes. So what are your thoughts, Jared? I'm going to say the exact same thing as Sam Laporta, guys. There's a reason why I've been putting on this this man on the list every single week. Believe yeah. believe in him. Let me. So far this year, 14 points, 10 points, 17 points, three points, 11 points. That's a consistent as hell tight end in an offense that is quickly putting up points on almost everybody that they are playing. Get Lucas Kroll if you're struggling at tight end. He is an absolute consistent monster. Anyway. Yeah, um, moving on. We're going to uh, move on to our fourth tight end, uh, a new guy on our list. Uh, well, now that we can see fully what the Indiana offense looks like, even though they're not winning as many games as we thought, uh, we have Peyton Hendershot on 20% of leagues. Um, so, yeah, Peyton Hendershot is the second leading receiver on that Indiana offense. Um, I think that's all I really need to say. If you're the second leading receiver as a tight end on any offense, I would absolutely want you. And he's uh, – I'd say doing it at a consistent level, but uh, it's really close. Um, you know, he's getting close to 100 yards almost every game. He's getting, averaging around, like, I would say if I had to take, uh, not to say a guess, but I'm doing like a rough guesstimate, I'd say like around four to five receptions a game. And even though it's not translating the touchdowns just yet, he's only scored in one game, I think it will eventually, you know, once uh, him and um, uh, Michael Penix put it together, and uh, they can find the red zone together. So I think it's a good, uh, a good wire, to, uh, waiver wire to pick up. What are you, what are your thoughts, Jared? So I think again, looking at the last three games, again looking at half point PPR, he has scored eleven point three, twelve point four, and fifteen points in the last three games. Once again, consistent as hell. Mm-hmm. And I think you're looking at an offense where once they saw Michael Penix really struggling coming out of the gate. They needed to provide a true safety blanket for him to just make easy completions to. Uh, and I think Peyton Hendershot is that guy. I think they realize that they're not going to be able to hit deep shots with guys like Ty Fry Fogel as much as they might want to. Penix just isn't there yet with his accuracy, and so they need a good checkdown guy. And Peyton Hendershot has been that guy. Again, last three games, five receptions, six receptions, six receptions. Dude is consistent as hell. I think you should absolutely be able to plug him into your lineups this week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and moving on to our last tight end, we have Marshawn Floyd out of Louisville, owned on 29% of rosters. Um, so, yeah, Marshawn Floyd, if you haven't watched Louisville this season, um, their biggest uh, receiver right now and leading receiver is Marshawn Floyd, uh, mm-hmm. Ford. And it's it, I'm not going to say it's not even close, but he is a very uh, focal part of that passing uh, game, even though he hasn't scored as much. Um, he's only had one touchdown this season. That's just Louisville offense. But I think in terms of like if you're doing a full PPR, a half point PPR, he's a consistent guy to have, uh, you know, being a, re- a leading receiver and a reliable option for Malik Cunningham going forward. Yeah, again, averaging six receptions over the last three games. 
Um, like Xavier said, the leading receiving option for Louisville for this offense. That is like those are the kind of tight ends that you want. You want those guys that when there's nobody else, they go to the tight end. Marshawn Foyd is absolutely that guy for Louisville. I think you can absolutely put pick him up and expect him to provide pretty decently for you going forward. Um, I don't have Louisville schedule up. Xavier, do you happen to have that on you? Yeah, um, Louisville schedule, they are facing Vir- uh, Virginia, Boston College, and NC State in their next three games. I think those are great games to have Marshawn Ford in. I'm not saying Louisville will win those games, but Louisville has shown that they're able to put up points and you know get the ball down the field, whether it's through the air and through mainly through Malik Cunningham's legs. But I think Marshawn Ford is still you know an equ- uh, factor in that equation, so I think it's a you know, good shot to have. No. Absolutely. And with that, I believe we have covered all of our waiver wire picks for this week. So again, I should have been doing this at the beginning, but I'll go ahead and review all of our waiver wire pickups for this week. Quarterbacks, we are suggesting Austin Kendall out of Louisiana Tech, Jeff Sims out of Georgia Tech, Sam Hartman out of Wake Forest, Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee, and Garrett Schrader out of Syracuse. For running backs, we are suggesting Alton McCaskill running back out of Houston. Uh, Tyon Evans out of Tennessee, Keaton Mitchell out of East Carolina, Sean McGrew out of Washington, and Chase Brown out of Illinois. Wide receivers, we are suggesting Makai Polk out of Mississippi State, Stephon Cobbs out of Boise State, Dallas Dixon out of Central Michigan, Corey Sutton out of Appalachian State, and Brandon Johnson out of UCF. And for tight ends, we're suggesting Sam Laporta out of Iowa, uh, Cameron Latu out of Bama, Lucas Kroll out of Pittsburgh, Peyton Hendershot out of Indiana, and Marshawn Foyd at, out of Louisville. So those are all of our waiver wire pickups for this week. Um, y'all got a lot of people on here that should be over 40% by next week. Do not make me put the same people on, on the list again, please, and thank you. So we got a lot of crazy games that we got to cover for this past week, Xavier, and... I think there's no better place to start, really, than not that game. Stupid graphic. <laughs> not that game. Did I have, I have these all backwards. My apologies to everybody. I thought I had these in a different order. So, number eight, Arkansas, goes to number two, Georgia. Georgia defeats Arkansas 37 to nothing. And I... I'm going to have to say, I think Georgia is the best defense in the country. In this game, they recorded four sacks, seven tackles for loss, and held an Arkansas offense to only 162 yards of total offense in this game. Now, granted, a lot of it came from Arkansas having some very sloppy play, but I'll put that on the incredible atmosphere that was there. Uh, it would be hard for anybody to run their full offense in that environment because you just couldn't hear anything. But even still... I think really the big, really the kind of the big story here for me was that Georgia's been kind of getting dinged for their lack of running game in their past three games against kind of some weaker competition in Vanderbilt, USC, and uh, UAB. People just weren't very impressed with the Georgia running game for uh, for a good bit. Well, this game, uh, they decided to just run the ball down Arkansas's throat the entire game. 56 carries for 273 yards and three touchdowns. I believe that average is just about 4.9 yards per carry by the entire team. Georgia only passed 11 times in this game. So if there's any doubt that this was the game plan going into this game, that should tell you right there. So Xavier, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, um, 
Uh, man, I have a differing of thoughts on this game. I think Arkansas made a lot of mistakes. Um, I think it was an effect of the crowd where I saw a lot of uh, mistakes of the line of scrimmage on the old line, not being prepared for that atmosphere in Sanford. I thought, you know, a lot of people would, maybe even the Arkansas team just thought maybe, maybe between the hatches is not probably that uh, great of a college atmosphere. And I think a lot of people have uh, been doubting us for a while. And we've kind of showed that, hey, even at 12 o'clock, you know, people will be between the hedges loud and ready to go, and we'll make it hard for you to, uh, you know, run anything on that offense. So had the old, uh, the old line jumping for a lot of false starts, moving backs, a lot of holding, a lot of block, illegal blocks. So just a lot of sloppy play on Arkansas in that first half. Uh, Jordan did well uh, with JT Daniels being announced that he wasn't going to play. We threw in our backup quarterback, Stetson Bennett. Um, he ran a safe game. Uh, I think uh, that's kind of what we ask him to do in, in some of these bigger games. To where I mean he's beaten he's beaten Arkansas before he's two and zero against Arkansas he beat uh, Arkansas last year so I'm not saying that he's uh, used to this but I, I felt confident about like you know winning this game I was like all right Stetson you've been in this situation before now you're back home uh, just manage the game properly don't have any crazy turnovers which he didn't I mean there maybe have been like one or two uh, throws where I was just like ah oh, that could have been if you know Arkansas was just a little bit better but we got away with some few lucky breaks and the run game just kept on working so I think. Uh, you know, I think I differ into thinking that maybe the game plan was different if JT was fully healthy, but I think, you know, the game plan was going to remain the same. Uh, the fact that JT wasn't fully healthy because he tried to get out there and throw early and then he just said that I can't. So I think I, they were going to. I watched that myself and yeah. it, you you could see the pain in his face. He, he was not going to be able to play in that game. Yeah. Uh, or if, if they wanted to pass with him and everything, it was just not going to work out well. Yeah, and I was like, I'm fine. I'm comfortable with the game plan of running the ball. If we can, uh, you know, get our running backs back to uh, prominence of like, you know, being that RBU that we've been, you know, given uh, that we've been the name, the the title we've been giving for the past, I don't know, 50, 40 years so far. So I think we, we had a good game plan going on. The defense is elite. Uh, definitely had the defense uh, number one in the nation. Um, it's really close between us and Bama, but I think we have the edge just by a smidge, uh, especially in our run defense. I'll, I'll I'll happily disagree with you there, but I'll I'll, uh, I'll leave that for a discussion outside of the camera. Yeah, because uh, we got a lot of, we got a lot of games to get to, so we'll go ahead and move on here. I just closing thoughts on this. I think this is a statement win by Georgia. Uh, again, you got a top ten team coming into your home, just shut them down completely, and a lot of people will say like, oh, they're not a top ten team anymore. Well, AP still thinks they're a top fifteen team, so that's still a pretty freaking good team that they shut down for no points whatsoever. Uh, so speaking of statement wins, uh, Georgia, the, not the only top team to really make a huge statement win this weekend. And we got to go over to Ole Miss traveling to Alabama. Alabama wins this game 42 to 21. Xavier, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, um, I, I know a lot of people thought that Ole Miss may get the upset. And there was a lot of people on the other side that was just like Alabama wins convincingly or it'll still be close, but Alabama wins. I was one of those people where I was just like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is that Alabama will win. I think Nick Saban has everybody, every assistant coach that he's ever had is like card and that he just knows how, when to use it and when to beat them. I think it was Lane Kiffin's card again that uh, resulted in that loss to where he made a lot of calls on fourth and like one and just couldn't convert uh, some, I'd say boneheaded uh, calls in terms of like running the ball uh, with your short running back. You know, I'd probably put it in Parrish or uh, Snoop Connor, but you went with Ely and you didn't get it. So it's costly mistake because I think in, in terms of this game, it was just more about like maximizing your opportunities and limiting your mistakes, which I think in, is like every opportunity. I mean, every football game, but in particular, this was probably the one thing you had to do and you didn't capitalize. 
So I think Alabama did well. Um, Brian Robertson Jr. had a great day um, in terms of running the football. I think, uh, yeah, it was mainly him. And then Jason McCullin got in there a few times. John Mechie uh, made an appearance uh, after, you know, having a few rough weeks, uh, you know, for some people that gave up on him really quickly. I mean, he didn't have over 100 yards, but he still had like 70 yards and a touchdown, which is a good 13 to 15 points, depending on the receptions he had. And then, yeah, they just played safe afterwards. They were just like, we can run the ball in Ole Miss. You know, a lot of people were boosting up the Ole Miss defense, which I think has considerably improved, but not improved enough to where you call that defense legit in terms of like the Georgia or Bama standards or even a Florida or Arkansas standard. But it's definitely like, you know, a good defense to where you could, you know, beat Louisville and some other few teams across the nation, but not for Bama. So mm-hmm. Bryce Young did his job. Saban called a good game. Uh, Brian Robinson, I guess you could say, was the star of the show for this uh this game yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna really key in like i've I've quite a few notes written down for this but you kind of touched on a lot of it but i'm really gonna key in on the whole lane kiffin and going for it on like what it felt like every fourth down that they were playing like i understand being aggressive i understand realizing that if you're gonna play bama you have to score but also if you're gonna play bama don't gift them two possessions within your own 40 yard line that is an easy way for you to get down 28 to nothing by the half, like Ole Miss did in this game. I would, again, it's the same thing that, like, a couple years ago when Georgia was playing Bama in the SEC championship game, the famous 4th and 11 Justin Fields play. And I lost my mind when we ran up a fake punt on that uh, play, not because of just how bad it was, like, in terms of trying to disguise Justin Fields being out there, but... Just the idea in general that you are playing Bama and you are in the lead. Ole Miss was never in the lead, but even so, like, just in that moment, I remember just screaming at the TV, like, you're playing Bama. Why would you ever run the chance of gifting them a possession on your side of the field? Why would you ever try to give them short field position? Like, again, I get trying to be aggressive. I get trying to catch them by surprise. But clearly, they were not being surprised in this game. I think I can't remember what the fourth down conversion rate for Ole Miss in this game was, but it wasn't great. Bama was all over it most of the time. And again, that's why they dropped 28 to nothing at the half. And a lot of people are kind of pointing out, like, oh, Ole Miss won the second half 24 14. Well, first of all, football is a four quarter game. Uh, second of all, Bama absolutely uh, called the dogs off once they got up 35 nothing on Ole Miss. And there was absolutely no reason for them to continue to run up the score. They made their statement. And with that said, I still think Bama is one of the best two teams in the nation. And Georgia and Bama are on a collision course at the SEC championship. Yeah, uh, I think so, too. I think um, Bama probably has a a smoother ride. I think Georgia still has a few more tests to face. But I think we're going to handle the adversity and be able to make it to Atlanta uh, by December. So, yeah. Absolutely. So we'll go ahead and move on to, I'm going to move past that graphic, to the other top 10 matchup of the weekend. Cincinnati, number, I believe, nine, no, number seven Cincinnati going on the road to Notre Dame. Cincinnati wins this game. Yeah. 24 to 13. Xavier, you predicted Notre Dame to win this game. I did. So I will ask you, not what went wrong, but like what happened in this game that you weren't expecting to happen that made Cincinnati win this game? Uh, 
You know what? I, I was a little doubtful about Desmond Ritter and like big games throwing the ball. Like I know he's made improvements over uh, his four years um, in college. And I, I, I love what I've seen, but I was like, Notre Dame is a big test. Like I know we always make the joke that Notre Dame is overrated, but I was like, yeah, they're overrated to an extent of like, they don't deserve to be in the top four of the playoffs. They're still a good team at the end of the day to where like, you know, it's always going to be a tough game playing Notre Dame. So I, I just like a lot of the plays that I saw, I remember it was like maybe the first quarter. I saw Desmond Ritter take a lot of deep shots and tests in that Notre Dame secondary. And I was like, you're playing with fire here. I don't think you want to do that. And you know what? He hit. He, he was very accurate. Like there was the first thing, the first throw I, th- throw I saw, he mistimed it. And it was almost a Notre Dame pick, but uh, the, I guess the safety just didn't recognize it at the time. But then after that, he just kept on testing them. I mean, I thought maybe Jerome Ford, if they were to win, would be much of a factor. But no, it was really just Desmond Ritter, the receivers, Wiley, uh, Young, um, just a lot of passing where I just was like, wow. Because especially with the defensive coordinator of Notre Dame being uh, the old defensive coordinator for Cincinnati, I thought maybe he would, you know, have a better game plan, which I guess Cincinnati just had the better talent and the better script. So I, I gave it all up to Cincinnati. I didn't, you know. I don't think I truly disrespected them. I was just like, yeah, well, you have, to, you have to show me at this point. I mean, I love what I've seen so far this year, but this is your one true test. And now you have to just coast on and win out uh, of your conference. And the only, I guess, you're close to last game of the season is SMU. So if you win that game and win your conference, then you're good. You're golden. Yeah, Cincinnati, again, if they win out of the rest of the schedule, they're a playoff team, in my opinion. Uh, I see no reason why to keep them out. Even if Notre Dame kind of falls apart from here, that's a hard, hard environment for them to win in. Um, Indiana, I think, was massive for Cincinnati because, again, Indiana knew what was coming in. I think Cincinnati is one of these teams where they're getting their best shot from every single team that they're playing. And I think, like I said, absolutely, if they, they run the table, they're in the playoff, especially if every other conference continues to kind of crap the bed like they have been. Well, um, I, I will say this. Um, I, I, I've seen, you know, a few scenarios, and I think there there might be a way for Cincinnati to not get in. I was like, if, the, if Penn State or whoever wins the Big Ten, they get in. If Oklahoma just keeps on magically escaping losses, I, I understand how much we as fans would like to see Cincinnati in the playoffs, but I think they're going to just credit, hey, Oklahoma won their conference championship, and, you know, they have a really easy schedule up until SMU. So that might mm-hmm. hurt them for a while. Yeah, Notre Dame, Indiana. Um, yeah, Indiana, yeah, that's not – I wouldn't say that's – I think Notre Dame is probably the big one that you can claim of. I'd be the top ten team. Oklahoma still has some question marks, but they might get the bot, the Lincoln-Riley bias. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, one more note I wanted to say on this game was you're giving a lot of credit to Desmond Ritter, and plenty of credit goes to him. I've, I think the story of this game was Cincinnati's defense. Uh, Cincinnati's defense was lights out in this game for the most part. Um they were getting pressure on the quarterbacks, um, no matter which one that uh, Notre Dame was running out there, whether it be Pine, whether it be Cone, or whether it be Buckner. All three of them, Cincinnati's defense was all over them, just forcing them to make some boneheaded passes to where, like, I, I was, again, was reading through some um, forums and everything for, like, uh, Notre Dame games and stuff like that, and just so many guys were just complaining about, like, why are QBs just not throwing the ball away? Why are they just throwing it over the middle when they got guys in their face. That's going to lead to picks every single time. And guess what? In this game, Cincinnati forced those picks. Uh, their defense was incredible in this game. Uh, the one real um, 
the one real knock against Cincinnati in this game was uh, Cole Smith, their kicker, going one for three on field goals. This game would have been, I believe, this game would have been thirty to thirteen had he uh, hit either of those games. And they they were not hard field goals; like they were they were pretty close in, if I remember correctly. So knock there for Cincinnati. But Cincinnati, congratulations! This is your program's biggest win in history. Yeah. And like, like I said, you guys went out. I consider you guys a playoff team, especially it's it again, especially if everybody else continues to go the way that they're going. Yeah, I think uh, Desmond Howard on game day said Cincinnati's probably the best team in Ohio right now, and I was like, I don't disagree with you at all. I, I would be very curious to see what an odds maker, who who would be favored in that matchup. Yeah. I think that would be a very interesting line to look at. Anyway, we got another team ahead of us here, uh, or another game here. Um, this is not one of our helmet games from the preview. Uh, all of the games so far have been, but this was one of the bigger upsets of the weekend. Obviously, whenever a top three team goes down to an unranked team, you got to talk about it. And that is Oregon going on the road to Stanford and Stanford beating Oregon in overtime. Xavier, uh, here's what I want to know. Uh, you got an Oregon friend that you that you like to talk about. I do. And I want to know what was what was the best trash talk you gave this man after their loss to Stanford or if you gave it at all? I want to uh, know. I, I knew that he wasn't going to be able to watch the game. He told me he was going to be, uh, you know, away from TV and stuff like that for a while. So I was like, yeah, y'all probably win, so I won't match this. But then I looked at halftime, and I'm talking to my friend, and I'm like, it's 17-7. to 7, Stanford is up. I was like, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and not say anything. But if it comes to the fourth quarter and y'all lose, oh, best believe I'm adding you on Twitter, and I'm going to say some things. Now – Stanford uh, in the first half were doing well, and then they let Oregon come back in the second half, and I was like, oh, I guess Oregon's just going to win the game because they had the momentum. So I just, like, turned everything off and went on to uh, do other things and, I guess, watch other games. Then I realized, and I was like, my friend hits me up, and he was like, Oregon and Stanford went to overtime. And I'm like, what? Uh, let me uh, immediately turn back this game, uh, turn back on this game. And, yeah, it, it was just – you know, I, I wouldn't say that Oregon was a, uh, a shock or a fraud. I mean, definitely when a top three team goes down to an iron opponent, you're going to have to talk about it. But I don't know. It's it, like my friend said this about the beginning of the season where he had no expectations for Oregon because of the Pac-12 and the state of Oregon, you know, still being a good Pac-12 team, but still rebuilding for prominence, of, you know, losing Justin Herbert and a lot of good other players. But at the same time, I was just like, look, you got you got when you got put in the top four expectations came. So I was like, you can't just use that excuse anymore of like, yeah, going in, I didn't really think of us as much. I was like, now people actually have like hopes for you. But I basically told him like, you know, the Pac-12 is a terrible conference. You know, me and my friend, we call it the Pac-2. We're just like, yeah, you you don't even deserve like a, a legit name. Honestly, I think the best joke I've heard was like, let's throw uh, the Pac-12 in the Pacific Ocean. And they were like, there's already enough trash in there. Let's throw it somewhere else. And I was like, that's oh, hilarious. Oh, no. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. There's a lot of good jokes to go around. But, I mean, I am disappointed that a top three team lost to an unranked team. But Stanford's been pulling a lot of people's cards this season. So it's really interesting. I think they did they beat USC uh, they just did. not a few weeks ago. So I'm not saying Stanford's good. But, <laughs> I mean, the Pac-12, I think they've just, you know, have been the epitome of just beating up on each other. So it's just been interesting. Absolutely. I'm going to go on a rant here for a second, if you don't mind. Uh, mostly yeah. gearing towards the Oregon fans um, yeah. and just some of the stuff I've been hearing. So I don't know if you, again, did you watch the final drive before it went to overtime, Xavier? I did not. I did not. So, I watched it. 
There were some quote unquote very questionable calls made by the ref that kept some Stanf- the, the final Stanford drive alive, mm. including a targeting call on one Kayvon Thibodeau Ooh. that kept, that took him out of the final drive. Ooh. And That's Oregon tough. fans are so convinced that if that targeting call was not called, they would have stopped the drive and Kayvon Thibodeau would have made a chance or made a change in the game on that final drive. That does not excuse the fact that Oregon was in a position to begin with to possibly be put into overtime in this game. Y'all, Stanford is a good team, but I don't think they're a team that Oregon should have been hanging around with in the fourth quarter of a game, especially not down 17-7 to at halftime. That, like, refs don't excuse that. Don't put yourself in a position where a bad ref call changes an entire game for you. Refs didn't cause you to open the floodgates for Stanford in the first overtime for them to very quickly score a touchdown on a third and 11, um, a third and 11 play call in overtime. They didn't cause you to completely lose your entire offense in order to answer that touchdown. At the end of the day, you have to be able to understand that this is a game to where you should never have been in this position to begin with. Do not blame the refs on this one. Blame on your coaching staff and your players for, like I said, even beginning, even being in this position to begin with. Yeah. I will say this, though. I, I will say, Oregon fans, you, you better be thanking your AD being the, um, uh, I think he's the, the chairman of the college football playoffs or the AP poll, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, college football playoff, I believe, yes. Yeah. Okay, then. So the AP poll came out, and they kept Oregon top 10, and they're the only top 10 team to have lost to an unranked team and still be in the top 10. That was pretty funny to me. So I'm not, I'm, I think you should thank your lucky stars if you're still in the, like, you know, not the running, but, like, you're still rated that highly. So you may have some hope, not for the college football playoffs, but for a good bowl game at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. All righty, we'll move on to our – Final helmet game of the weekend, and this one was the most hilarious to me. And that was going to be number 10 Florida going down to Kentucky on the road. Uh, final score of this game Kentucky 20, Florida 13. So, Xavier, I'm going to ask you what your thoughts on this game were. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I can't get a good read on Florida at all. Like, I, I never know what to expect from Florida this season. Like, at first, the first half or the first, like, quarter of that Tennessee game last week, I was like, is Florida terrible at defense? Then they, like, went on to, like, you know, stop the Tennessee offense and then, you know, handle business. So I was like, okay, okay. I can allow a few points from Tennessee. The, the offense is a little bit different. Hupel seems to know what he's doing on the offensive side. But then I'm, like, looking at, Kentucky and with Mark Stoops and I'm just like I, I I've, I've, I've watched Kentucky a few games this year because I had an invested interest in Chris Rodriguez and you know from what the rumor uh I talk about him you know preseason going in uh, I'm not gonna say he's fully lived up to the hype but it's been a good showing so far to where I haven't been too disappointed except barring one game but it, I wasn't expecting this result uh I was expecting you know it was definitely going to be a close game but I thought Florida was going to, you know, be able to win out and maybe win by like two scores, like a field goal and a touchdown. But that just wasn't the case. Um, I just don't understand Dan Mullen and his infatuation with loyalty. I, like, I understand it's a respect thing. And like, yeah, if you work the time, if you, if, you, if you work for something really hard and you put in the time, then you'll reap the rewards. But at the same time, 
if your quarterback is not that good, go with your second option who actually does look a little bit better. You only gave Anthony Richardson one attempt for a pass, and it was only for eight yards. And then when your whole when your running game that you've been like accredited with be, with being average, like you know, especially with the Alabama win, completely just goes uh, seemingly gone. I mean, you've you only like Emory Jones is your leading rusher, which is fine for like a quarterback of Emory Jones like you know play style of being a dual threat. But if no guy can get over, like if Emory Jones is only getting sixty three yards and that's your leading rusher, then that's a problem. If you can't run the football, you won't be able to win the game. So it was just really just terrible for Florida on all sides. Like you couldn't stop Kentucky. You couldn't stop uh, Wandale Robinson where, you know, you kept him under 100 yards, but he's still able to make key plays. And Chris Rodriguez got like 20 carries and what he was supposed to do or 19 carries instead of touchdown. And Will Levis wasn't even great. So the fact that like you had bad quarterback play from Kentucky that you couldn't capitalize is just, I, you should be ashamed of yourself as Florida fans and as the Gators program. And I don't know what Dan Mullen will do going forward. I know like in those big games, he likes to play, uh, the, they like to play up to competition, but also they also play down the competition. So I think this is a prime example of that. Yeah. Um, this loss is on Dan Mullen and Dan Mullen alone. And for several reasons, you already kind of mentioned the quarterback situation, but I'm going to add it in just a little bit more there. There were several times in this game where it's very clear that Dan Mullen does not trust Emory Jones to make big plays or to make the plays that he needs to in order to win a game. They were in a position to score a touchdown at the end of the half, going into halftime, and he looked to settle for a field goal instead. Rather than trying to let Emory Jones make some big plays, they kind of... um, did some small uh, checkdowns, ran the ball just a little bit, which clearly wasn't working the entire night. And we'll get to that in just in a second. Uh, but again, he clearly doesn't trust Emory Jones. And Emory Jones, once again, has um, Richardson looking down his back. And you can already tell that Emory Jones just plays better when he doesn't have Anthony Richardson just there waiting in the wings whenever he can play. Like, just look at his game against Alabama. Look at his game against Tennessee. Neither of those games, Anthony Richardson was supposedly out. For those games and emory jones just didn't have to worry about it and he looks like he played a lot better even still in addition to that um you had 15 penalties for florida for 115 yards in this game a lot of those were false starts caused by a um a clap count for the offensive line or or by for emory jones uh for him to count before the games Lexington, Kentucky was ruckus that night. And it was very clear early on the O-line could not hear that clap count. Dan Mullen never adjusted that. He never switched over to a silent count for whatever reason. On the road in an SNC environment, there was no backup plan for that, apparently. How do you do that as an SEC coach, not knowing that, hey, it's quite possible that we are now looking at a scenario where we're going to keep false starting ourselves out of out of scoring positions because we can't hear our own damn quarterback in this environment. They never adjusted that. And the fact is, at the end of that game, even when Florida was in prime position to tie that game up, they still couldn't do anything because they kept worrying about every single play. They are going to be thrown back five yards for, an, uh, for a false start. This was a ridiculously poor game from Dan Mullen and the staff. 
zero halftime adjustments were made. And don't take my word for it. These are the these are the words of Florida fans themselves. Again, I know I'm a Georgia fan, but go and look, read Florida message boards right now. There were zero halftime adjustments made in this game, even though Florida was only leading by a few points at halftime. Dan Mullen was so convinced that the game plan that he had going into that game was going to keep him in that game, and he was wrong and horribly wrong by the end of that game. So props to Kentucky. Um, again, this is pro- I think this is the first time that Kentucky's beat Florida since like 86 in Lexington. That is insane. Yeah. That is insane. So congratulations to the Wildcat fans. Y'all deserve this. Um, Dan Mullen, what are you doing? Because every Florida head coach before you could not lose to Kentucky. But then suddenly in the, your first four years, you've lost to them twice. What are you doing? Twice. So that's my thoughts on the game. We got a lot of other games to get to here. So we are going to move on to our additional games of interest. We're going to go through these quite a bit faster. So oh, we yeah. are going to go ahead. the first one. Yeah, I don't really, I don't want to get myself involved too much with this one. Um, just realized I don't have, oops. I could put all the games up on the screen by accident, so we're just going to roll with that. I meant yeah. to just do this one at a time, but that's okay. Anyway, first game of interest, Iowa at Maryland. I called for the upset in this game, and boy, oh boy, was I wrong. Um, and basically, the story of this game, five interceptions for Talia Tagovailoa, one interception for their pa- for their backup QB, and then a additional turnover on a special teams kickoff that led to Maryland having a massive amount of short field positions in this game. And there is nothing you can really do about that at the end of the day. Uh, Iowa had 200 yards of offense in the first half and scored 34 points. That doesn't happen in a normal game. That is defense creating turnovers, Maryland just completely imploding on themselves in that game to the point where I just don't even, I, again, I don't think you could cre- create this scenario for this game ever again, just with the amount of turnovers that Maryland just gifted Iowa in this game. And again, credit to Iowa. They took advantage of every single one. Uh, at no point in this game did you think that once a turnover happened that Iowa wouldn't take advantage of it. And they just absolutely destroyed Maryland in this game. Also for Maryland, unfortunately, it looks like Dante Demas suffered a pretty bad injury in this game. And as far as I can tell, it looks like he might be out for the rest of the year. We're still waiting on official confirmation on that. So Xavier, you get to tell me I told you so. So what do you think? Yeah. Um, yeah, I basically told you so. I, I trust in Iowa's defense. Like, I don't rate them highly, but I think I rate them a lot better than Maryland's offense to where, like, I love what Maryland's offense was doing. I still love them going forward with the weapons that they have, even with Dante Demas probably going to be out for the season because it looked like a gruesome injury. But the Iowa defense is legit. I mean, I mean, I think it's still like, you know, it's a tier of Alabama and Georgia, but then there's there's a good little tier. There's like a separable gap between like, you know, a few other uh, defenses like Penn State and Iowa are really close. Um, oh, if I had to think off the top of my head of another good defense to put in that category, I probably couldn't off the top of my head right now. But it's it's a pretty good gap between them and everybody else as well too. So I, I had a I had a good feeling about Iowa going in. I love what Talia has been doing, but I just felt like yeah, you're not going to go in there and upset Iowa, even though if they haven't looked that impressive. 
And Tyler Goodson had a good day, too, in the passing receiving game. Um, San Laporta showed out, too, in short field position. So this is a good day for Iowa overall, and they have a top-four matchup uh, this upcoming week. So we'll really get to see uh, – you get to see in our preview uh, what that will look like, so um, what we think. So, yeah, that's that's mainly, mainly my thoughts on that. Yeah, again, like I like I said, I, I, I called this game totally wrong. I thought Maryland – again – Give some of those turnovers back to Maryland. All of a sudden, this is a lot more, I think, a lot closer of a game. But again, you only get the game that is played. Iowa took advantage of every turnover that Maryland was giving them. So, yeah. We'll move on to our next game here. And that is going to be uh, Oklahoma at Kansas State. Oklahoma wins 37-31. to I think this was Oklahoma's most complete game of the season so far. And despite the fact that the score was a one-touchdown game at the end of the game, I do think Oklahoma had this game well in hand by the time the fourth by, by the time the fourth quarter really kind of came around. Now again, we've seen Oklahoma fall apart in the fourth quarter, and once uh, Malik Knowles ran a kickoff return back for a touchdown, a lot of people started getting very concerned. All of a sudden, that once they got an onside kick, they might be able to do it, but. Regardless, I think Oklahoma, again, played their most complete game of the season. Um, just kind of put away uh, Kansas State for the most part. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts, Xavier? Yeah, uh, like like you said, the, the score doesn't tell the full story. Um, Oklahoma had a, a considerable lead going into the half and even in the third quarter, and Kansas State was just clawing their way back. And then that, uh, that, uh, that kick return or punt return, that the uh, Knowles return, it was pretty good, and they got the onside kick, but they just didn't have enough to um, take it all the way down the field. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think Oklahoma's defense is still suspect. Like, you know, a lot of people thought that uh, Grinch was going to perform and Oklahoma would be this powerhouse of the Big 12 and they will just be able to stop on people. I mean, offensively, if this is like, yeah, it's their most complete game, but I'm still not impressed. I didn't, I, that's not, I didn't say it was impressive. I just said yeah, it was their most yeah. complete game so far. Yeah, it was definitely their most complete game so far. Spencer Rattler still looks average. I mean, I feel like, you know, honestly, I, I feel like Lincoln Riley, do you think Lincoln Riley would uh, take Spencer Rattler or Tanner Mordecai uh, if he had the oh. option to choose? I think season? he, I mean, I think he clearly chose Spencer Rattler last year. That's true. But like, if it had to be like, hey, uh, at the beginning of the season, you can have one or the other, knowing what we know now. Oh, if he knew what we knew now, I think he would take Tanner Mordecai because Mordecai has shown an ability to do this thing called develop. Yeah. Improve. So, so yeah, Oklahoma, I mean, you won your game. You, uh, you know, not to say narrowly escape, but according to the score, you're still struggling. So I don't rate you in the top four. You don't deserve to be in the top four. You don't deserve to be in the top five. Even if you win the Big 12, still don't deserve to be in the, t- uh, the top four, but it is what it is. Uh, Texas will be an interesting game next week. I don't rate Texas that highly, but... Oklahoma's only favored in that game by three, by the way. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. I think Bijan Robinson is going to be able to run all over them as long as their receivers are healthy by next week and Casey Thompson can put it together <laughs> instead of, like, collapsing against TCU, then be a good game to watch. Yeah, again, I'll, I'll end this whole section right here with a great metaphor. I forget where I found this. I wrote it down, though. Uh, so if you if you're the one who created this metaphor, cre- I appreciate you. Uh, they described Oklahoma is a pinata that won't break, <laughs> which I think is the most accurate description of Oklahoma right now because I think everybody's giving their biggest whack at them right now, and Oklahoma's getting beaten to death, and but they just haven't broken yet so far. Yep. But 
they are a pinata at the end of the day, and they have to break at one point. So I I fully expect Oklahoma to at least get at least one or two losses, especially if their offense does not improve like they need to. Yep. Move on to another game here, and that is going to be Michigan 38, Wisconsin 17. Another game I got wrong. Oh, um, no, give them context. Give them context. Yeah, so last week on the show, I did predict Michigan to win this game. Uh, next day, I text Xavier, and I said, all right, I know what I said on the show, but I'm switching my prediction. I'm going Wisconsin over Michigan. Um, so y'all weren't there for that, but I did, I did switch my pick. And... Really, my thought process for this game was I had seen Michigan's offense. I had seen Wisconsin's offense. They were both offenses that I, don't, I did not think were going to be able to pass the ball on each other. And so I think both of them needed to rely on their run game. Wisconsin had the number one running, rushing defense in the country at this point. Uh, Michigan, while still decent rushing defense, was still better, or not at, nearly as good. And so I'm like, okay, if one of them... As we saw with the Rutgers game last week with Michigan, if they got if they got stuffed, I didn't trust their ability to throw the ball. Wisconsin, I didn't think was going to have to be stuffed. I thought they were going to be able to run on Michigan. I got that completely backwards. Michigan was able to run the ball on Wisconsin decently well. Not great, but decently well. Wisconsin got completely stuffed in this game. It was ridiculous. Um, I'm really glad we didn't start Ches Malusi in our Kings Classic League because he had a terrible day as well and yeah like i said michigan did struggle to run in this game they averaged only 2.5 yards per carry the big thing for them was they hit their deep passes when they needed to and that was the thing i did not see coming in this game i thought wisconsin would be able to keep things in front of them and the dam completely broke in the second half uh wisconsin completely gave up in this game um so yeah, I'm kind of. I think I'm done betting on Wisconsin for this year. Finally, okay. Um, yeah, I like I said, I think I've been saying this for the past few weeks. I never rated Wisconsin that highly. I wasn't impressed. I never was impressed by their defense, no matter how like what the stats said. And I, I, I think it was a little bit of like if Graham Mertz stayed healthy for this entire game, maybe it'd have been a little bit closer. But he did get hurt. I don't so like, think so. Did, did, I mean, what, what at what point did he do something that inspired you and said, you know, if, if he played me. like that? The entire nah, game, nah. this game would be closer. Nah, but I'm just like, maybe it wouldn't be like, you know, by like two to three scores, but I think it would have been a little bit closer. But yeah, I still had Michigan winning. I was like, I trust their run game duo rather over the Wisconsin duo, even though they didn't do that great. And then, you know, when I've seen from uh, McNamara and JJ McCarthy, I was just like, look, you're not the greatest, but you have receiving options like outside of, uh, you know, with Renard Bell going down for injury. There have been some bright spots with, um, I think his name is Cornelius Johnson, if I'm not mistaken. I um, may be saying that wrong, but he's been, you know, coming up on a lot of deep passes so far this season. And I, I was just like, you know what, I'll take a chance on Michigan, you know, keep on going with this streak because just have been impressed with Wisconsin that far uh, so far. I was like, yeah, you had a close game with Penn State, and, you know, if you want to count Penn State as their signature one of rising to top three, top four, I guess, if you want to, but it just wasn't enough for me. But the AP poll thought differently, and that's why we're going to have a top uh, three and four matchup of Iowa and Penn State, and we're going to see who really deserves to be up there at that spot. But, yeah, overall, I, I had a good feeling about Michigan. I was just like, I, I think you have better talent. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I call this game completely wrong. 
Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to the next game. Another game that you called right. Like all the, all the games that you got called right are on this list. I I, yeah. I I need to do a better job of showcasing the ones that I call right. We'll get to those in, in a second here. Mine's are more exciting. Uh, you're right. You're right. Anyway, next game we have here on the list. Uh, you called this one right. Mississippi State upsets Texas A&M 26-22. But like I said, you called this game right, Xavier. What did this game happen the way that you expected it to, or did it happen a different way, or like what? What was the surprise? What 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 was not a surprise in this game? Um. I'm not gonna lie. I was a little bit surprised at Texas A&M's difference. I thought, you know, I didn't think I didn't think this game would, you know, get over 20 points for either team. Because I was like, look, I, I understand. I was like, hopefully Jumbo runs the ball with Isaiah Spiller, which he did. He had 16 carries. I think he had 100 yards, so it wasn't the greatest day for Spiller, based on what we've seen um, pass, especially against Mississippi State. But also, I was like, Mississippi State's D line is pretty good, so I think that kind of contributed a little bit in terms of stopping the run game to where, you know, you didn't explode for 150-plus yards because A-Chain didn't have that great of a day either. But um, I, I think, you know, when I when I looked at this game and I looked at what I saw from Texas A&M for the past two games, and I was like, Mississippi State, they're resilient at times to where they, they'll keep throwing the ball and Will Rogers will hit to where his completion percentage is really high up in the 60s to uh, close to 70s. And I was like, after a while, that will wear you down at the Texas A&M when you can't score because – uh, oh God, Zach Calzada, Zach Calzone, whatever you want to call him now, uh, can't be like doesn't show enough talent to complete like legitimate passes. Like it, it's, uh, it's Texas A&M has so much talent. It's just that sadly Haynes King is hurt, and we didn't get to see what Haynes King was going to look like completely. So I don't even say, can't even say if Haynes King was in that game, they would have won. But he was a, a four star quarterback that they recruited. So obviously he has talent, so maybe he would have put things together by now. But yeah, I just love Mississippi State to where I was like, you know what? Even though you've lost a lot of close games, I think Texas A&M will be the one win that you can get because Texas A&M is at a bad place offensively to where you can put up more points than them. And I didn't have, I didn't, I couldn't think of a line at the time, but I was like, I guess it should have been like, if you can't score more than twenty-five points on Mississippi State, then you're not winning that game. So. I mean, yeah, I mean, Mississippi State has been anything but consistent, or everything, including consistent uh, in terms of the amount of points they scored. I think they've scored between, like, 25 and 30 points in, like, yeah. each of their last games. Like, it's crazy. Just, like, you, you know the number you need to beat Mississippi State. If you can beat that, you're good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the 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 thing I'll just say here is, I like, you don't want to say a, a, a team season is over the moment that their starting quarterback goes down. I really think that's the case here for Texas A&M. I do not think the offense they're trying to run now with Zach Calzada is the offense they should try to be running with Zach Calzada. I think they're trying to run the same offense they would have run with Haynes King. I don't think it's working. So that's all I'll say really there. We'll move on to our next game, and that is going to be Fresno State, number 18 Fresno State, on the road to Hawaii. Upset. Hawaii 27, Fresno State 24. Um. Yeah, Pac-12 after dark, pfft, Mountain West after dark. That's where it's at. This game was at like eleven o'clock and went until like two o'clock in the morning. I thought yep. about staying up and watching this game a little bit, and then I decided I like taking care of myself, and so I figured I'm like, you know what? I'll see what happens in the morning. And what did I find the next morning? Well, you had a uh, Jake Heiner, uh, a lot of people's favorite rising quarterback for the draft this year. Uh, four interceptions in this game, two of them on the goal line. Um, 
So yeah, you're not going to be winning a lot of games with four interceptions, especially two of them right as you're trying to uh, pick up the um, right right as you're at the goal line. And in addition to that, there was just some weird calls made by Fresno State in this game, and like the fact that they're up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, uh, fourth and seven. What do you do? Go for it, of course. And mm -hmm. that gifted Hawaii some short field position, allowed them to score a touchdown. Again, just some weird calls made in this game. So, Xavier, do you have any thoughts on this game, or is this one that you just completely skipped? Uh, yeah, like you said, I was in bed, Mountain West after dark. But um, it's so funny because in our home league, I, I, I got Jake Heiner off of you, and also I traded away Calvin Turner, who Calvin Turner Jr. had a great day. And Jake Heiner had a terrible day. But luckily, I've been starting him uh, with my new guys, except for the quarterback that I got in another trade. But I, I was expecting a lot more. I was expecting a, little, a, a lot of a curb stomp, but I didn't expect Hawaii to be competitive. I was like, yeah, Hawaii will beat up on easy teams. But from what I've seen, Hawaii, like, the, if you've ever looked at Hawaii's, like, highlights of Calvin Turner Jr. just trying to be tackled, it's literally a joke. <laughs> I, I don't know how to, to explain it. To where if they're facing anybody like above their competition like they did with UCLA, they will get exposed. But if they're facing like lesser competition like New Mexico State, you will see some absolutely crazy magician like uh, tricks out of a lot of their playmakers. And it's just uh, it's just laughable at that point. So I, I was just expecting Fresno State, you know, on the up and up rise of like, you know, we had close games with Oregon. And, um, oh, God, who was the team that they beat earlier uh, or they upset this past uh, UCLA? UCLA. So I was expecting, you know. Some of that consistency, I know Jake Heiner was a little bit hurt, but I was, you know, he came out and played, but I was like not expecting four interceptions. So it's a little bit of a letdown, but I still have high hopes that, you know, maybe it's just because of the injury and he'll shake things off and get a little bit more healthy and be ready for next week. Because he has a few games left that I'm expecting some shootouts and I don't need all those turnovers. I, I again, I think this is an outlier for Jake uh, Heiner. Again, they would have won this game 38 to to 27 if he didn't throw those two interceptions there the goal line or at the very least 34 27 um they again that that's where they lost this game i think very easily um we'll go ahead and move on to the next game finally we get to a game that i called right yeah. uh thank the lord and that is going to be uh oklahoma state 24 over baylor 14 uh Xavier, you picked baylor in this game uh we'll yeah. get to um what you think went wrong for baylor in this game uh, here in a second, but I'll talk about Oklahoma State. Uh, they won pretty much exactly how I thought they were going to win, and that's ride or die on Jalen Warren. Um, Desmond Jackson and LD Brown are both out currently with injuries. Uh, Jalen Warren is the absolute uh, truth when it comes to a true workhorse back for Oklahoma State right now. Very Chuba Hubbard-esque at the moment, and they relied on their defense. They're pretty good defense uh, to keep them in this game. Uh, like I said, they won 24-14, not your typical, uh, stereotypical Big 12 uh, shootout game or anything like that. You got two good defenses going up against each other. And then uh, Spencer Sanders throwing three interceptions really just tells me going forward, Oklahoma State really needs to rely on Jalen Warren. This is not a guy that is going to be tackled very easily or um, like contained, not tackled, uh, contained very easily by a lot of Big 12 offenses. So I think going forward, Oklahoma State just use the game plan you used in this one. Uh, so, Xavier, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I looking back at this game, I I don't know. I was hoping that Baylor would continue the hot streak and continue on going, but 
honestly, they had uh, their first eight like offensive possessions ended up in punts until they finally got a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So, and they couldn't capitalize off the Spencer Sanders interceptions. So I was like, well, if you're not capitalizing off interceptions, even with a field goal, like, come on now, just get down on the field position. Just didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So it was just more disappointing in that part. I mean, I, like, I, I wasn't wrong in terms of, like, I wasn't impressed with Oklahoma State. Like, I still believe in Jalen Warren, but I knew about Spencer Sanders being a little bit suspect, and he threw two t- uh, interceptions. I was like, you know, maybe that'll keep the game a little bit closer, but it was just the whole time I was like, well, I guess Oklahoma State's just going to cruise on to this one, and the Baylor train is over at this point. I mean, not to say for their season or anything, they still could, you know, win a couple more games and get a good bowl out of this. Um, you only need to win about, like, seven or eight. Mm. That's like three more on their schedule, but yeah, um, Oklahoma State—they did what they were supposed to do. They 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 rid um, they they relied on um Dylan Warren uh, to carry them, and he had like around what twenty plus carries and uh over a hundred or two hundred yards. So it was uh, a good game. Real quick. Yeah, I, I was like, it, it was a good game for Oklahoma State. Um, I don't think they're gonna be getting this lucky every single time, but I do like the prediction that at least he had Jalen Warren. So. Uh, he had uh, 36 carries for 125 yards. Oh, 125. Okay. So, well, it's not won. like he was running efficiently, but he still got a lot of work. A lot of work. Listen, man, the vol volume is all that matters at the end of the day when it comes to the, when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. So Oklahoma State, I do think, is gonna be interesting. They're on a bye this week. They play Texas the very next week. Uh, I th- I'm gonna keep an eye on that game. I think that'll be a very very interesting game. Because uh, yeah. again, Oklahoma State will be going in undefeated in that game. Um, Texas will either be one loss or they'll have um, their second loss from the Red River rivalry. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to watch that game. I'll be very curious to see who's favored in that game as well. Um, next game we have here on the schedule is another game that Xavier called right. I'm getting tired of saying that. Uh, anyway. Um, this was the Arizona State at UCLA game. Arizona State 42, UCLA 23. Man, this was close for a half. It was. Um, I was I was very excited because, I, again, I, it was about halftime that I, I believe I just called it for the night. Because I was watching this game, and I was like, all right, halftime here. I'm tired. I'm just going to go to bed, and I'll see what happens in the morning. And I woke up, and all of a sudden, the numbers for Arizona State flipped. It was no longer 24-23. It was uh, 42-23. So, uh, Xavier, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, um, yeah I'm happy that Jaden Daniels, uh, not to say this is uh, you know resurgence or anything. He only threw for maybe like 271. He had good rushing numbers as well, too. But Rashad White. Um, I think it's been not to say a standout, but, you know, maybe a little bit undervalued in a, a lot of preseason rankings for what he does for that Arizona state team. And then Demonte, uh, Trey is going to be great for the future after Rashad white presumably leaves for the draft this year. Um, I'm not going to declare it yet that Arizona state has their, uh, go-to wide receiver, but, uh, Purcell, I think his name, uh, Ricky Purcell, uh, showed out, had over hundred yards against UCLA. I gotta say they were a great defense, but UCLA has been known to stop. Uh, uh, you know, it has a, a not a legitimate defense, but an okay defense to where they can push things. They beat LSU for God's sake. I mean, not to say they stopped Keishon Butte, but they were able to stop like you know the rest of their passing game. So I wasn't expecting much from Arizona State's receivers, considering they haven't been so good, especially against that BYU game they had the week before. But I, I think it just overall, I'm just more disappointed in the UCLA. Uh, I think the running game, I think the the Zach Charbonnet and Britton Brown train is coming 
to the station and kind of ending and re-running for decommission because it's just not looking the same anymore. It's not looking as explosive. I mean, Zach Charbonnet still had a, a good like amount of volume, but it's just not the same of like you're getting 21 carries at this point. You know, early on in the season, people were like, oh, if Zach Charbonnet is getting 21 carries, expecting over 100 yards and you got 81, 89 yards and no touchdowns. And Brandon Brown got the touchdown on 33 yards rushing. So just overall, wasn't that great? Um, I will say, I remember in our Kings Classic, I was like, hey, if uh, one of our receivers can't play, I do like the shot of Kyle Phillips in this game. Now, he didn't have the greatest game, but he had touchdown. So he had points. So I was like, all right, I can roll with that. And Greg Dolchich had a great day as well, too. So, I mean, the tie- he finally showed up for his little Titan uh, of the Week award if he wants it, but it wasn't enough to help beat Arizona State. Yeah, no, you, you pretty much covered the game almost exactly as I would have covered it. The one thing I do want to point out here, again, you, you're, you're kind of downplaying Daniels a little bit, but because, again, like, his gross numbers aren't the greatest. Like, or, I mean, they're, they're fine. Like, they clearly yeah. were enough to win this game. Yeah. But he didn't pass that often. He had over 15 yards per attempt. He did. That is crazy to me. Just every time they decided to pass, they got 15 yards down the field. Uh, yeah, UCLA, that's how you lost right there. That's how you lost. That every time they decided to throw the ball, they were getting a first down. Yeah, they had three players get over like forty plus like long uh, catches. So I was like, yeah, you're not gonna win this, Chief. And then uh, just overall, the 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 team is rushing five point four yards per carry. Again, yeah. two downs. That's the first down. UCLA couldn't stop anything with Arizona State in this game, and clearly Arizona State made some great halftime adjustments to shut out UCLA in the second half. Uh, one last thing I want to note in this game. Uh, if y'all haven't seen the Arizona State helmets from this game, they're cool as hell. Like, I want more teams to wear helmets like that. Were they chrome ones? Yes, they were. They're the color-changing ones. Yeah. All right, move on to our final game here. And what? that No, I'm dumb. I'm dumb. I can't count. It's the final game on my notes here. And then uh, I have another page afterwards. That's okay. why I'm thinking. I'm dumb. I'm tired, y'all. Anyway... <laughs> Xavier, if you don't mind, I have a lot to say about this game, so I'm going to go ahead and rant here for a bit. Um, Wait, can I just say this? The only bright spot I like from this game is that Kayshawn Butte did his job. That's the one bright spot for LSU. That's all I can say about this game. You can go on and explain the rest of this game. I don't don't have any thoughts. Auburn 24, LSU 19. Auburn wins in Baton Rouge for the first time since 1999. So congrats to... Any Auburn listeners out there, uh, this is a hell of a win for you guys. Who picked this uh, game right? Because I think it I was, did. Uh, yep, and I, I did. Wrong. And my uh, my reasoning for it was Auburn voodoo magic, <laughs> and I was pretty damn close. I'm not gonna lie. Watching Bo-Nix. this game, uh, yeah, Auburn voodoo magic might not be it, but uh, Bonix Houdini magic definitely was in full display in this game. Y'all haven't seen some of the uh, scrambles that Bonix did in this game. I was telling, I was talking to, um, I think it was Austin, uh, Austin from Campus to Can the other day, where, um, some, where some, I basically said that like people forget that Bo Nix was a five-star quarterback coming out of high school, and so like people are always so surprised when he pulls stuff off like this, and I'm like, y'all, he did like again, he had the talent, it just was being misused for so long. Now I don't think. He's been developed to the point where he's about to go off and be like an NFL draft pick or anything like that. I think that train sailed a long time ago. That made sense. Trail train sailing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that train left the station a long time ago. But even still, 
I do think like he is going to be able to utilize himself just a little bit more, especially when they put the ball in his hands for this game, which is not something you really would expect uh, would happen. Like it's just a very unlikely cir- circumstance. If I came to you, Xavier, last like Friday, and I said, "So the Auburn LSU game is going to come down to Bo Nix. Who wins?" <laughs> I'll go LSU ten times out of ten. Exactly. Um, but anyway, enough about or the one. The one thing I was very confused about with Auburn was Tank Bigsby only getting nine carries in this game. I was legitimate, like not that he was he was averaging three yards a carry. So don't get me wrong, like it's not like he was having a great day when before they kind of took the ball out of his hands. But even still, I felt like they gave up on him pretty early. Um, we'll get to LSU now. LSU, you want to know why you lost this game? 26 carries for 11 yards uh, was the LSU run game for this game. That is 0.42 yards per carry. That is a complete shutdown of one side of the offensive side of the ball. Now, you have Max Johnson on your team. You have a guy who can pass the ball around. You got plenty of great receivers. So clearly, you did enough to stay in this game. You scored 19 points. Um, problem is Auburn switched up their defensive game plan to where they only needed three, maybe four guys rushing the box on every single play. And because they knew they could stop the run easily with just those three guys. They knew they could get after the quarterback with just those three guys. The offensive line performance in this game for LSU was awful. And then they could drop seven to eight guys back in coverage for those wonderful talent receivers uh, the problem is, you can be talented and wonderful as possible. You got eight guys back there, it's going to be hard to find them in coverage. So LSU, you lost this game because you couldn't run the ball to save your life. And you got completely shut down in the final quarter of this game. Meanwhile, Auburn and Bo Nix were marching down the field constantly on you. And yeah, uh, this is a tough one. This is a tough loss for LSU. Xavier, any thoughts on this game before we move on? Uh, not really. I guess I get, I'll give a good shout out to uh, Jarquez Hunter. Uh, you know, he looks promising for that running back room at Auburn. I mean, it's a little bit sad as a, from a fantasy perspective of people that like Tank Bigsby to where maybe next season, um, I think, wait, is Tank, uh, draft eligible this year or is that next no, year? No, no, he's a sophomore okay. this year. So, yeah. So it's going to be an interesting split, probably a split backfield for the upcoming, uh, rest of the season, probably I even next year. Man. So I'm just like, I hope they don't stray away because Tank is still a really good running back. But, I mean, I, lo- I love what I'm seeing from Jerkwes as well, too. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, move on to now our final game of the night. Ooh. Texas at TCU. Texas 32, TCU 27. Xavier, this was the game that you were really looking forward to all week. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to let you take point on this final game here for us. What were your thoughts on this game? <sighs> I may have set too high of expectations, but at the same time, I came out still a little bit satisfied. I got to see explosive offenses, maybe not in terms of the passing game, but especially in terms of the running game. That's mainly what I really wanted to see. Uh, you know, if you own B. John Robinson or Zach Evans, you are a very happy person um, this game. I think if you watch this game too, they were both very electric. Um a lot of, uh, I guess they were both. Um, I remember they had the the um, the graphic up of Zach Evans was the past this past year or the 2020s number one running back, and Bijan was either number one or number three in his class the year before. He's the number one. 
he was number one. So you had two top uh, number one running backs going in against each other. Bichon obviously had the better day, but he was on the better team. So it just it was what it was. TCU made a lot of uh, turnovers and mistakes. Like you had a lot of uh, kick returns and punt returns just fumbled at the like five yard line. And Texas was able to just pick it up and have Bijan or Roshan Johnson just run it in. Um, you couldn't really get the passing game going because Quentin Johnson got hurt. And then um, Max Duggan wasn't the ac- most accurate of guys. And then his runs weren't that inspiring to where he would uh, – there would be times where he would scramble. It would be like one yard they needed, and he would just get stopped because he would slide too early back to the line of scrimmage. And I'm just like, ah, should just give it to Zach at this point. Mm-hmm. He showed the most dynamic playmaking like ability like on that field. He was probably the best player for TCU. And then Bijan was probably the most electric for uh, Texas to where he had over – I think 25 to 30 carries and 200 yards and still had a receiving work of like 50 uh, yards in the air. 35 carries in that game. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, So it was a very happy day for those owners. Um, But yeah, overall, Texas, Casey Thompson did not look that inspiring. Um, I am a little bit concerned about Oklahoma going forward because he wasn't uh, hitting his receivers. Uh, Xavier Worthy was basically a non-factor. Jordan Wigginton had a good touchdown, I think, if he got a pass. Yeah, I think there was a good touchdown he caught, if, I don't, if I'm not mistaken. That was inspired by a little bit, but I was like, that's not going to be enough to beat Oklahoma. So their defense is still suspect in the run. Um, so I, I'm not saying – I think this is probably the best uh, running back that they face. Like Oklahoma, Eric Gray, I, I do believe, is talented, but Zach Evans is just a different beast and monster. So I think that maybe they'll be able to uh, key in a little bit on that. But, yeah, go look. Uh, staying to the, sticking to this game, I think the over-under was, uh, what, 65-plus, and this got to, like, 59, so it didn't get over. So I, I was expecting a little bit more from t- TCU um, in terms of, uh, you know, getting the ball to Zach Evans a little bit more and maybe getting them passing game a little bit more. But overall, people put up good stats and good points, so I was a happy man at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm, I I have a bullet points that I, that I wanted to go through when it came to this game, and literally it was like a checklist, like everything. Like as you were speaking, like I was just checking things off. Like oh, we covered that. Oh, we covered that. Oh, we covered that. You nailed yeah, this game I here. That game in full. Uh, so yeah, like like you said, I think this was really um, the the one thing here again. Casey Thompson. This was the kind of come back down to earth moment uh, for a lot of Texas fans, where everybody thought that well, they made the change of quarterback, Casey Thompson. Uh, he's going to rocket uh, everything from here. He destroyed Texas Tech. We're going to be fine from here on out. I, did, I didn't think that was going to necessarily be the case. I do think Casey Thompson is going to be a fantasy asset going forward. Uh, but even in addition, like this was the game that reminds you that, hey, Texas isn't like a Texas QB isn't going to be foolproof for you every single time and put up crazy stats or anything like that. So other than that, yeah, you kind of covered everything with, with this game. So... With that, we have covered an extremely crazy week in college football. Y'all, we didn't even get even to every game that I wanted to talk about in this thing. And we're already at it. What are we looking at? Hour 45 minutes. We've been going for a while, y'all. And so, like again, there, there are games we didn't get to. Miami going down to Virginia. Uh, Tennessee absolutely destroying Mizzou. Um, that was crazy. Um, trying to think of anything else. Uh, Clemson, once again, just barely surviving. Um, Low-scoring game. Uh, Wake Forest, Louisville, that was a great game. Again, just so many things we just could not even get to. But we appreciate y'all for tuning in for the amount that we were able to cover. 
Uh, just a reminder to everybody, make sure you're following us on Twitter. I am at CFF underscore Jared. He is at CFF underscore Xavier. Make sure you are subscribed on YouTube if you're watching us here and making sure you're hitting that notification bell. Leave comments down below on anything or on really anything you want in the video, whether it's questions about the upcoming fantasy week, whether it's you um, thinking we have some dumb takes when it comes to these games. We are human. We make uh we make uh, flaws all the time. Xavier will definitely make sure that I will know my flaws uh, every single time. Um, so you should be no different. Uh, in addition to that, uh, make sure on Spotify you are following us, on Apple Podcasts you're following us, there or any really uh, platform that you listen to our podcasts on. Uh, Apple Podcasts, leaving those five-star reviews is always wonderful. Um, trying to think anything else you want to add in here, Xavier, before we are done for tonight? Uh, no, that's you covered everything that I probably would have... Uh said as well too you know always a thanks to all the fans uh, and listeners out there that support us um, from the beginning and even till now we love all our listeners from you know all across the globe you know jared always keeps me updated on the people that you know listen i guess portugal and australia and things like that so it's always good little tidbits that you know we see y'all out there and we really appreciate uh the support so yeah it's mainly it for our, for me yeah y'all again thank you guys so much for listening we got some incredible stuff coming up for you guys um we got two uh guest appearances lined up uh on different shows we will be we will be appearing on the cff university podcast and we will also be on the ankle biters podcast going forward we're very excited about that we'll be on those probably later this month uh in addition to this um the week six preview um will be released at a different time this week more than likely we are uh Zayn and I are going to be discussing this afterwards but i will be getting my wisdom teeth removed this week and so it's going to be a little difficult for me to uh release a podcast considering that you know i'll be missing portions of my mouth and i will be needing to figure that out but even still uh i trust xavier to uh do the show well or maybe i'll be here as well maybe i can get it done before uh, we get that uh, before I go under for that surgery. But again, thank you guys so much for listening. Appreciate y'all sticking with us. Y'all have a wonderful night. Yeah, see ya.